Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Modern Dentist, where we talk about all things that are interesting to the next generation of modern dentists. And today we have with us Dan Fine from Hive. He's the group director of Hive. One of the things that you touched on before, where we talked a lot about misconceptions and um, we touched on buying practices. And we, you use words like, um, you know, raising debt. And I think for, for a lot of people who haven't thought about the mechanics of actually buying a practice, the nearest analogy might be buying a house where you go to the bank and mm -hmm. they give you a mortgage and it's sort of a packaged product already. Um, just break it down really simply. How do you buy a practice? Uh, so say you've found a practice, uh, if you come to Hive, we'll probably be really annoying and saying, you really should uh, do the discovery <laughs> program just to figure out if you really want to buy a business. But say you're dead set on a business, and um, the first thing you'll probably need to produce is a, a financial forecast for the bank, which all the bank wants to see is that you can service your debt. So the balancing figure will be the income that you pay yourself. Um, so I said earlier that you might be paying yourself 30 grand. If you tell the bank you're happy to live off that, they're happy for you to buy that business and take on the debt. Then there is a, a very insanely, like buying a house is, takes far too long, but buying a business is even worse um, because you never know what the seller, there's something we call stubborn vendor syndrome, which is sometimes they get really bogged down on weird things. Like they'll, I, I, um, one guy recently said, you can only buy the business if you take uh, take on the building and take on the rent for the vacant shop I own next door, like what? Like why? I, I, I you know, I, I can't actually understand his motives. But because he's probably not got very good advisors, he's probably not going to sell his business for the sake of like a grand a month. Yeah. But the thing is, there might be a purchaser who'll say, yeah, I'll kind of, I'll take it on grand a month. What's that? There's 50 grand coming through the door every month. I'm going to be rolling in it. Now, we know that you're not going to be rolling in it because you have to pay your associates for the production and then pay all your costs as well. So, yeah, so you're dealing with another human being, a bit like what I was saying about people earlier. They're unpredictable and kind of weird and, and make strange decisions. Um, the banks are tighter with their lending. They'll probably still do 10% down. Um, there's still quite a bit of uh, family money that goes into dentistry as well. So we still see that quite a lot. Um, but yeah, then there'll be a big due diligence process. Um, so what we're seeing now for the first time is actually some of those stubborn vendors actually taking um, quite significantly lower prices through the due diligence process. So there's a, a practice I'm thinking of that went to market at 1.3. Uh, one of our clients agreed in principle at 1.3. Um, we're going through the due, due diligence process and it was clear that that practice couldn't be valued at anything more than 900. So they, we kind of said it to them and they said, you're mad, go away type thing. Three months later, they actually came back to, to us and said, well, can we still buy it? Hey, will, will the guy still have the offer? So we had to do due, due diligence again. So that didn't used to happen. So partially because there'd probably be someone who would have bought it basically before but there's there's less people purchasing um or less people not thinking twice before purchasing i can't quite people are just pausing yeah. it's the same with everyone with any expense at the moment you're just thinking is, is this the right expense for me um so that's that's interesting that's happening but yeah so due diligence um then loads of really annoying stuff that you've got to go through kind of taking over cqc and then eventually you'll 
kind of after you've kind of fed up with having a practice, then have a practice and have people ringing you to <laughs> ask you loads of questions about what's happening on day one. So it's a really long, uh, annoying process, which no one, no one is not shocked by how, how kind of um, slow it is, basically. And there's nothing, you know, we've, we've had dedicated days focused on how can we speed up this experience for our customers. Basically, when you involve banks and lawyers, there's very little you can do. Yeah. You know, all we can do is communicate better that this is going to take a long time. Don't worry. It's good because you can build more cash from your associate position. So, yeah, because once you've bought the practice, um, that just proves you can buy the practice. You probably need at least 50 grand of working capital, obviously, depending on loads of different things, uh, which a lot of people haven't got because they've put it all into their deposit. Yeah. Um, don't put any kind of deposit down before you've spoken to your advisors as well, because we've seen that um, it's like a 10 grand non-refundable deposit. We've seen that loads where our clients say, yeah, put the deposit down Great on this. Great advice. Um, yeah. So just don't do anything before speaking to your accountant, basically. Yeah. Great advice. I feel like we could talk for another hour about valuations, how to finance, mm -hmm. uh, and then also what happens on the side of the seller. Mm -hmm. um, so what, do, what are they going through? How do they think about valuations? And I feel like there's another whole episode in yeah. that probably. Well, I'll try and squeeze it, squeeze it down. Um, so there's kind of two sections of the market. So there's corporates uh, that are purchasing bigger practices. Uh, but I think Christie and Co say it's something like 80% of the transactions in the market are independent still, which always shocks me when I hear it. But that's just because a lot of the profile of our clients are selling to corporates. Um, so we are seeing... Um, it's just a bit up in the air at the moment, what's happening in the... So when I'm talking about the, the independent market, I'm probably talking about practices with revenues of a million pounds and below. Um, so they're still just about principal-led. So the principal will probably be the biggest fee generator in there. Uh, they're not quite big enough for a corporate to, to look at them. Um, so there's kind of upsides in this that you're, you, um, you, you can probably get a slightly better price uh, and probably have a and people prefer to sell to other people rather than corporates because um, it's again becomes another version of a collaboration between you and the previous uh, principal as well. So there's no, I can't like tell you this is the trend. I can just tell you that uh, there's that there are more questions being asked about affordability because affordability has gone up, um, and the associates seem to be more financially savvy. So whereas three years ago, I could show them that they would be losing loads of money. And actually that practice is overvalued by hundreds of thousands of pounds. Um, but they didn't care because they wanted that practice. And the reason they wanted the practice is because it was in a specific location or something like that, which I, I'm not actually uh, being facetious about because we buy cars that, you know, all cars have four wheels and take you from A to B, but we all buy cars that are more expensive, not for the utility they give you, um, but just because something weird about how they make you feel. So people just buy dental practices like that. That seems to be tapering. I, ju I just think there's a bit more savviness. So I think it's healthy is what I'd say. Um, so I d you know, had been saying from the start of the pandemic, unless you're in for the next kind of five, six, seven years and are really going to pump your practice up and are really kind of get obsessed with growth, you probably should sell now. Now is probably the time where you probably should have sold. 
yeah. uh, if you're at that level of the market or be seriously thinking about selling in the next six months, um, just because I think it's going to tighten even more there. Uh, at the other end of the market in the corporate world, um, dental practices are valued by EBITDA. So it's true profit after the principal's been paid, after every cost has been taken care of, um, obviously not tax, um, and they will pay you a multiple on that profit. So there's been a lot of stuff. Uh, uh, so the, the multiples uh, got to an almost all-time high probably a year, year and a half ago where even... Like for EBITDA of a, with a million pounds, um, people were getting like 10 times multiples. So that's that was kind of crazy and, and quite exciting. Uh, leading up to that eight, eight to nine, uh, which is still really, really good. Um, there's been a lot in the kind of press and on LinkedIn and stuff like that of people saying, oh no, they're going to taper, it's going to go down to six. Uh, it's not for true, uh, <laughs> truly good dental businesses. Number one, why would they sell at that level? Uh, Number two, I'll buy a really good associate-led dental practice for a six times multiple or even five and a half I've seen put somewhere. Um, and basically, the corporates will still buy. They're more stringent. So when we first, when Dentex first entered the market, they were still buying practices that had 800 grand revenue. Then kind of they'd been in the market for a year or two and they'd say, uh, why don't you go and speak to Hive and kind of pump up your revenue? And it was like a million plus. Then it went to 1.2. And it might be a bit further than that. Not that they're valuing based off revenue, but to get their attention for it to be worth all their legal fees and stuff like that. Because, you know, if you think about their strategy, it's just to pump, it was to yeah. pump up their value for the for the buyout that they've just been through. So that's why they were buying kind of everything and being a bit less... Uh, I mean, they were still buying really, really good practices, but now they're like strict. It has to be like really, truly profitable. And of course, someone will buy you because they'll buy you a, a nine times multiple, add you into their group and immediately it's worth a 15 times multiple. So at the, the kind of bigger end of the market, it's kind, it's not standardized, but it's kind of more predictable just because it's completely commercial. At the other end of the market, it's 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 kind of just less predictable. But the big thing, if you've still got dental practice, is there's a huge demand to buy dental practices and a scarcity of supply. So that will always work in your favor. It's just, if you kind of had your heart set on whatever uh, a valuer had told you two years ago, don't bank on it being that today because your costs have gone up yeah. and you probably haven't grown. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, it's this so much in that and I think so much that you guys and all of the experience that you've had in the industry can help dentists with so you know love working with you guys I think there's there's um there's a ton of a ton of synergies in what we're doing I think there are um expectations that are set early in a dentist career about how one gets rich basically how mm -hmm. how you make lots of money in dentistry because maybe some examples they've seen friends and family or because, um, you know, in the media or on forums. And um, I think that is changing or, or there are times when those expectations aren't met. What's your experience with that? Um, well, firstly, uh, if you wanted to get rich, you have chosen the right career path, um, like genuinely. Uh, it's the only it's the only industry kind of I'm aware of where you can be earning kind of 100 grand plus pretty quickly after qualifying um, if you kind of skill yourself up. And that, again, that's not just clinically. That's with all the communication stuff you've got to learn as well. So how do you get rich as a dentist? Um, probably 
Uh, well, what we do when we're appraising a new client is we ask them to break down their objectives through income. How much do you want to get paid? Wealth. What assets do you want? Time. How much time do you want to commit? And when do you want to uh, kind of retire or exit or whatever it might be? And gratification. What's going to make you most happy uh, on this journey and make it all worthwhile? So if it's income you focus, so the quickest way for you to get paid really well and have cash is certainly by being an associate. Um, so it's really skill yourself up, work really hard, pick the brain of everyone you meet, find really good mentors, uh, and you'll be earning really well. If you want to kind of go to the next level, um, you know, getting a specialism in uh, orthodontics or kind of learning one of the, becoming an implantologist is another massive way where you can kind of be earning like two, 300 grand. We've seen people earn quite significantly more uh, be working four days a week, three days a week. That's a pretty good life and a pretty good job. That's like, um, you you might be um, like a regional CEO of a, a big advertising agency on that money who's like quite famous in their industry, but actually in dentistry, lots of people achieve it. So if it's income you're after, I wouldn't spend it all as well. That's the other bit I'd say. I would, uh, you know, you might get tempted by buying Porsches and things like that. Not that you shouldn't buy Porsches and things like that. But because you're focusing on the income sector, it means inherently you're not focusing on the wealth sector. So you need to use that capital to be buying more assets, uh, whatever that might be. It might be crypto, it might be houses, it might be whatever. You know, um, you know, people buy, I've got clients who buy like really posh whiskey and it actually is pretty decent investment provided you don't drink it. So that's that's kind of one area. That's that's probably your most straightforward way of doing it. Um, the next layer, the kind of one that um, is quite obvious, is becoming a, a dental practice owner. Uh, I want to remove any illusions that there's kind of easy money in this bit because it, it's um, you're much more beholden to how the industry sways as well. So uh, associates are pretty well protected through this period of economic crisis. They don't have to worry too much about the fact that you have to pay your staff quite significantly more at the moment. They don't worry about the electricity costs because they're kind of fixed on their, their percentage. They don't worry so much about um, that marketing's getting still currently competitive. I do think that might drop off as costs continue to increase. Um, you don't have to worry about all this stuff. Um, whereas a, a, as a, a practice owner, you kind of need to be obsessed with the business. So there's a lot of talk about work-life balance uh, in society at the moment. You don't have that if you've got a business. Like, and, and it's not, um, you know, people say you haven't got a business if you can't walk away from it. And I believe that's true if you can't walk away from it in revenue terms. So the business should not be reliant on your dentistry, the dental revenue you're bring, bringing in. But truly, if you're a good business leader, the business should be reliant on you to develop it and push it forward and grow it. Like that's what you're there for. That's the value you're adding to the organization. Uh, and, and that is, it is kind of an obsession, which again, if that's what you're into, that's really cool. So the, so when we're talking about wealth, I do think it really, really relates to the time and gratification elements a bit more. Um, you, there, the, It's definitely not the sensible choice if you want work-life balance, if holidays are really important to you, um, if, a, if, if uh, being able to disconnect at the end of your workday. But if all of that stuff's exciting for you and it's the mission, you know, there's no work-life balance, there's just work, then actually the upsides are massive. 
So I'm not trying to put people, well, I am trying to put people off buying a dental practice, um, people that probably shouldn't buy them. But if you do want to do it and get excited by all the kind of pain points that come along with it, it's pretty easy. I, I, I mean, there's a big reason Hive only operate in dentistry is because I can confidently say to more or less any dental principal that I meet, I can triple the value of your practice in three years. That's insane to me. If someone came to me and said they can do that for Hive, I'd be like, great, what do, what do I do? Where do I sign? Um, and it's just because um, the market's still fairly immature from a business perspective. Uh, it's still wide open. Demand is increasing. The, uh, the customer is more shrewd now, so they're more aware. But again, that's an opportunity as opposed to a, a, um, something to be concerned about. So yeah, it's, it's what you want your life to be. It, that's really the question you've got to ask yourself. But both pathways are potentially commercially re rewarding. Being an associate is like definitely commercially rewarding. Is that fair? Do you think that's... Yeah, absolutely. Like, like, I think you've painted a really clear picture, which is that if I'm a young dentist now and I'm thinking, love to earn three, four hundred grand a year, you've painted a pretty clear picture of how I get there pretty quickly. I, I learn and I upskill in one of these high value areas, short term orthodontics, implants, work really hard. Maybe I work five days a week for a couple of years and I might get there. Um, if on the other hand, I'm thinking I want to build an empire, uh, and I'm willing to graft and not earn very much money in the meantime, then that's a completely different path. Do, do you have to decide? I mean, imagine that you're two years qualified now. Oh, oh no, just, uh, but leaving uni just become a really good dent. Like even if you're buying a dental, I know I'm saying, uh, the success of your dental business will not be related to your clinical skill. And that's true but you should nail your craft before saying, I'm going to buy a practice first. You know, there's, there's practical reasons that you need your clinical team to respect you. So, um, you know, some of the practices I know, the principal kind of could easily 100% step back, but they keep doing a day a week, say, uh, just so there's some kind of understanding that they're, they're still clinically able to have a conversation with their associates. That's not doesn't necessarily need to be a case, but if a lot of the work that's being done in that practice is high, high skill, and the associates are high, high skill, you need to be able to talk on a level with them. So it is helpful to be a good dentist, but it's not, it's not gonna be the point of success. Um, in a business as such. What is coming next for dentists in the next five to 10 years? Uh, so I'm speaking specifically about dental businesses because th th that's what I do. Um, so to, to kind of move forward, I'll look back uh, briefly. So dentistry um, used to be a bit like a five kilometer race. So you could rock up on the day, um, not really done any training at all and kind of shuffle your way around the course and it be okay, you'll complete it. Uh, and you'll kind of get the gratification from completing it. And that's kind of how dentistry worked. Um, there weren't the kind of heady highs that exist now, like really like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds and multi-millions of pounds of asset value. But actually, you'd be incredibly successful uh, you, in your peer group. You'd probably be one of the richest people. Um, and the kind of focus was just being on a good dentist. So over the past 10 years that I've been in dentistry, it's kind of tightened up. So it kind of went to a 10K and people started having to think about having a website um, and starting to think about marketing and spending money on that type of thing, which, which might be um, actually starting to train uh, for your 10K. Uh, and we kind of predicted at that point, um, or we, we've been predicting for years, the kind of retailization of dentistry, so becoming more sales focused. And then the pandemic basically turbocharged everything. So it did with a lot of uh, other, other kind of issues in, in society as well. It kind of really focused in on um, 
on delivering a good product. So a lot of change came really quickly through that process. So what I said at the start of the pandemic is that the 5K or the 10K has turned into a, a half marathon. So now you probably do actually need to have a training regime and you probably should have the right shoes. Converse won't cut it. Uh, and you should probably think about your diet and you might want to lose some weight for it. But again, it's still a manageable distance that you know quite a lot of, of people can get through. I really think now that the kind of more macro crises are striking and economic crises, uh, it is really very much a marathon. So you, you really shouldn't be undertaking it unless you are wanting to look at your, uh, your diet, which might be your numbers, and really get dialed in in your training and performance, which might be your sales and marketing, um, and thinking about your mindset, which might be the culture of the organization. So if you don't want to do all that stuff, um, that, that is where dentistry kind of is and is going. So my I've still got clients that are like doing better, like better and better month on month. And it's because they're the guys that were running a marathon eight years ago. You know, they were focusing all the, on all this stuff before um, and kind of getting great 5K times. But now it's translated to in more difficult times, disproportionate success. So that's that's the challenge ahead. But again, there is a training plan for a marathon. There are things you should, should and shouldn't eat. There are the right uh, kit that you need. So the, the, the pathway is there, but understand what you're taking now. And you can't um, kind of just, uh, th there was a phrase that um, really stuck in my head that uh, an associate that we'd gone through his forecast with, this is like years and years ago. And we're saying you're going to be living off this. And it, was, it wasn't very much money. You have to grow it. You have to figure out where you're going to get some money from marketing. And he said... Oh, I just want to go in and get my, my knees under the desk and just get the measure of things. And he basically kind of, you know, drowned for two years and then came back to us and said, right, what do I do? And that's when he wanted to start training for the marathon. So we're really encouraging people to engage with that stuff much earlier and be aware that that's what you've got to do. It's funny how you can, that's such a nice analogy, 510k, um, 20k, and then suddenly a marathon, which is an achievement for most people. But if that becomes the status quo, then it's very difficult to compete when you're shuffling around in your, in your converse. And I think we certainly we certainly see that. And then, again, there's no judgment on this. When when dentists work with us as individuals, um, you can tell what kind of environment they're in mm -hmm. because they're either really being pushed by a very, very capable operator mm -hmm. and a team around them that wants them to grow and they absorb all of the information we give them and, they, and, they, and they're providing, you know, tens of cases within weeks. Um, and then on the other side, there are people who just haven't built the muscle mm -hmm. um, to, to really excel yet in, mm -hmm. in becoming a high value private dentist. And it's not that they won't. Um, and, and the foundation needs to be there in terms of their clinical skills, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but it's nice to know that there is a path that you can go on that is relatively clearly defined um, so that you don't have to discover it and figure it out yourself. Yeah, it, it, it's like simple, not easy. That's the thing. It, it's the discipline to actually execute because everyone, that's literally everyone, feels really busy. So the analogy I use kind of in production terms is uh, it's general health advice to walk 10,000 steps a day, isn't it? Which is kind of completely manageable for anyone. But if you only walk 9,000 for the five days a week you're working, uh, well, that's 5,000 you're behind. And when do you make those up? And very easily, even kind of 10% underperformance manifests itself as a massive issue. But then you kind of do the exciting part and say, well, what about if we overperform by 10% through that period? The, the, the rewards are massive. So it's, um, it's accepting you're going to be busy. 
but accepting this whole other world of things exist. Um, and it's incumbent on you to tap into it, to learn and then bring it into reality. So, Dan, I just want to say thank you for a, an absolutely fascinating um, you know, hour or so of discussion that we've just had about everything really that a, a dentist who's just starting out to someone who is um, perhaps building a business or has already built a business should be thinking about. So thank you for coming in. It was lovely to see you. Thanks, Sonia. It's been great. That's it, guys, for another episode of The Modern Dentist. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook um, for the next episodes and past episodes that you may have missed. Look forward to seeing you next time.